Hello and welcome to On Resistance. Today we'll be talking about sort of our personal introduction into radical politics. I'm Bobby. Thanks for listening today. I'm Jay. Hi, and I'm Noche. So there's a lot of different pathways and experiences that folks have, and sometimes it seems like uh, having radical positions is an absolute that you've already reached, and I think we could all share maybe some, some experiences that challenge that idea that it's an absolute position and that yeah. it isn't like something that fluctuates and that it isn't a process that is continuing. Yeah, definitely. Again, my name is Noche. I'm a, uh, a Chicano that was born and raised here in Los Angeles, uh, specifically the east side of Los Angeles. I've lived here um, you know, my whole life. And uh, like my introduction to radical politics happened when I was fairly young in the 80s when I had a neighbor who was um, involved in the Chicano movement in the 60s and 70s. Um, and it was a a movement that very much existed in the neighborhood I grew up in, which was Lincoln Heights. And around, all around, you know, the neighborhood, there's like murals, there's, you know, memorials to the blowouts that happened in Lincoln High School, which was like Chicano students, you know, protesting against, you know, the, the terrible levels of uh, funding for the education in their neighborhoods. And that's kind of where I, you know, started to understand that there was a difference between myself being a Chicano and like the rest of the world, right? And that there was like resistance to, you know, the way, you know, we lived um, in our specific neighborhood. And over time, you know, that just kind of like, you know, continued. And even though I grew up in a kind of rough neighborhood, I was always interested in the kind of being outside the neighborhood because I didn't want to just be like another, another like, you know, barrio kid for lack of a better term right i just i wanted to like do something else so when in my teenage years i got into punk rock and it was through punk rock that i got exposed to like more and more radical positions uh, different kinds of politics introduced to even the idea of anarchism communism marxism and all these things and it was like through like the latino punk scene in east l.a um, that i got introduced to you know, a very specific kind of punk, which is like anarcho-punk or like anarchist punk music. And even though, you know, the, you know, the punk scene at the time was already pretty radicalized in the, ni- in the 90s. Like there was like many bands across the country, uh, like Los Crudos, which were, you know, a lot more well-known now. Bands like Subsistencia, Contraataque, uh, Sin Orden, also from Chicago, like Los Crudos, who were talking about, you know, immigrant issues and talking about you know issues in latin america and issues um you know here in the u.s with the border against prop 187 in the 90s against all this stuff that was going on at the time and so like for me it was like of course you know politics is what i want to be doing so eventually when i got like burnt out on like punk music because you know it's kind of a grind you know putting on shows being in shows and all that you know sometimes punks aren't the greatest people in the world <laughs> as much as you will you wish they were but they're not you know i got into i got into introduced to like you know different kinds of politics like a little more nuanced place um through some friends who opened up a social center which is kind of in highland park kind of in lincoln heights i'm not sure exactly what it where it is it's called floricanto centro comunitario and they were chicano they were anarchists they were from the neighborhood and they introduced me to like politics like the situation is international left communism the ultra left marxists who were not authoritarian and all these things like a whole like new world of politics that i 
didn't know existed at the time. Because at the time, you know, I read people like Bakunin, Kropotkin, Goldman. You know, it was all very, rather like Eurocentric, you know, you could say, right? And they introduced me to people like Flores Magón, like the two Flores Magón brothers who were Mexican anarchists who fled Mexico, you know, during the revolution, had a commune in Los Angeles, right? They, uh... They published newspapers here in Los Angeles. There was a riot because some of them got arrested here in Los Angeles. Like, it was all just like interesting history. So this is like stuff that kind of like, you know, kept on fueling my desire to be you know, involved with radical politics. And that's kind of, you know, my way of getting into politics, which is interesting because I've met a lot of people who became radicalized through, through like, like school, which, which, I, which I get, you know, it's one way to be like radicalized, right? You take you know, Chicano studies class or like a women's studies class and you get introduced to certain ideas that you wouldn't be. But, you know, I very much like got radicalized like outside of the university, which is probably why I tend to have a position that's very critical of the university for a variety of reasons. And I, you know, I very much value the stories that other people have, you know, and how they got radicalized because I think that's sometimes even more interesting than the politics they have with some people. And then you can understand more like why why they're more about this or they why they're more about um, talking about certain issues. Yeah. So just like the, the content, the topic, I feel like there are steps before I was exposed to radical thought where if I hadn't taken those, then I wouldn't have been emotionally receptive to, to changing how I think about power and accessing change. Or, and so some of that was, yeah, growing up in rural, suburban, white-dominated area and uh, the Bible Belt of Southern California, very reactionary, white, conservative, and kind of being really impressioned by 9-11 and, and the, the wars that came out of that, and looking for anything. So I want to draw a distinction between protest and then resistance. So mm-hmm. first exposed to protest and being like, oh, this is something I want to change. What are the avenues that exist to change it? And then really believing that I could pursue those avenues. Mm-hmm. And yeah you know, kind of why I mentioned it was an emotional journey is because I felt like I was receptive to other ways of thinking because of profound disappointment in all of those avenues. And then, you know, personally myself, kind of once you're labeled political, it kind of goes from there. But I did have that pressure in the path of of assimilation of going to the university. And that actually deadened a lot of my like create creative urge or anything like I stopped reading almost filled out a couple times I became really depressed um, because yeah, yeah. the university isn't their purpose isn't a place to cultivate <laughs> ideas or autonomy or resistance yeah. it's it's definitely a like process to <clears throat> turn you out as a person indebted to capitalism that now has to pursue careers and so you know I was I majored in poli sci because I thought that that meant something and it doesn't You know, (laughs) it means campaigns, it means hierarchy, it means government allegiance. And so I remember reading some ideas that on paper, but they Mm -hmm. never meant much, much to me. But then after, you know, and then through, I was kind of turned off by activism in L.A. for a little bit. Um, And then I started practicing other ways of thinking about things. And the only way I really learned was through seeing the the negative effects of union leadership and reformism and charismatic leaders coming into spaces and actually everyone looking to them and actually to me that shut down creativity and that shut down and prevented resistance from forming in a lot of spaces and so I started I guess 
resistance became more of the term when I started learning about capitalism and starting understanding white supremacy as like a, a system and looking at systems of power. The biggest thing for me was trial and error. Like, you know, once you realize that all the lies that this country says, all the avenues that can be taken for change, those are all lies. And then through that profound disappointment, I uh, started looking for other pathways. And then I did participate in the Occupy movement and seeing the forces of liberalism mm-hmm. come in and literally smash <laughs> any, any, any potential you know, alternatives from forming and, and the struggle that really took place daily in those spaces against um, machismo and patriarchs and reformists and people who were focused on uh, negotiating with city managers and and all that um and then through the course of that learned so much and changed so quickly but then started being called a radical and being called Uh an anarchist and being called all these things and having to kind of scale back and be like what are those things and actually research them and then realizing like whoa you know like i read um still very eurocentric but i read um and i think that's also one of the things is like when you talk about radical politics people like well what are you reading yeah and i don't think that's the first entry point for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things like you don't have to have read all these things because you can read these things and if you're not in places or um exposed because direct action to me is the best outreach you know it changes if you're in a place where you're actually experiencing different emotions and like around like oh the possibilities of a blockade or a riot or all these things that open themselves up you know to me that's much more rapid learning and unlearning than any book can can kind of theoretically say it's interesting because i was i've been thinking lately like what was my first like sort of like conflict in regards to like orgs and it was when i was in high school and i wanted to do um a club PETA, uh-huh. like for animal rights and i like was all excited and i um i messaged PETA and i was like hey you know like can you send me some free stuff i want to start a club at my school and they're like no you can't use the name um you can't <laughs> distribute any of our information like you can't do this so i just like downloaded and made free PETA stuff anyways and like used the name anyways without their permission but i remember after that I was like f them now that i learned you know my politics have changed i'm like really f them but it was just interesting they were just like no to this like high school student who was so excited to want to like spread their brand and i feel like that's kind of just has been my history how I found myself in this radical politics, I guess you can say, always having to deal with conflict and being told no and having to do something anyways. The daily life of having to like resist. Um, when I also, you know, participate as Occupy, as I have talked about before in the show, and you know, my first five minutes of being there, I had someone trying to tell me like I couldn't take the streets. Or I had, like, people coming up to me and telling me, like, I had people continuously coming up to me and telling me, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And, like, it's sort of, you know, through being pushed that you figure out how to push back. And I feel like, you know, if you're someone who's constantly being pushed in life, you're going to probably find yourself in some sort of radical element of something. I guess that's sort of how I came into being, like, anti-authoritarian because I was tired of people trying to tell me what to do and control me. Um, and being horizontal because I actually experienced some form of like horizontalism and felt like actually empowered to participate and speak in spaces where in other hierarchical spaces I haven't felt like that. Heavily Occupy was like a boot camp because you had all these people constantly trying to, you know, co-opt and take control. And the few people that were like, hey, this is not okay. Let's sort of try to go against that. You just constantly try to resist against that. 
So throughout the years of like participating, I've just seen that orgs are BS and like the liberals are evil and (laughs) 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 they're not evil, but they're just as authoritarian as the state and are part of the state. So I don't know, through experience, I guess. It's interesting that, you know, both of you you come from, like, you are, you know, radicalized, however you want to put it, like, in these, like, very, like, white spaces. But, like, I experienced the other side of it, which is living in and growing up in the neighborhood where there is already a, like, established, like, left, like, slash brown legacy. And, And the stifling part was that anything outside of that was seen as either being... Uh, assimilationist or or eurocentric so you couldn't talk about anarchy because you know we're down for aslan we want to take back the southwest and we want to do all these things right so i experienced like the flip side of it where the the established left that sort of barely existed right was the most like resistant resistant to having critiques out there so if we had if we had a critique if me and my friends that i grew up with had a critique of activism we're like we're bad people you don't want to do anything you know if you know because for them activism is the everything right and and then like there's a whole world outside of activism right it's a whole world of actually engaging and being antagonistic with the world right and i think that's where you know it's interesting because like you know most of the time that people who hear positions like we may share together, they think they're just negative. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. they're just haters. Mm-hmm. They they just thrive on being the most like edgy, you know, antagonistic people in the world. But no, a lot of us like we grew up like facing, you know, like people coming at you hard when you're like, I just wanna change the world or destroy the world or whatever. You know, like <laughs> like you know, like yeah, like I'm just try- I'm just I'm just out here trying to trying to do something. But I got you people who were supposed to be on our side pushing back. Like this, you know, and this is weird. Like this is the reason why sometimes for a long time, you know, I dropped out. Because there was, you know, there was just so much, everything felt so controlled. Everything felt like, for me, you know, in my head, what I look forward to, what I enjoy seeing is people revolting. And they don't have to have signs. They don't have to have banners. They don't have to have a political organization, but seeing people push back and do it on their own. For me, that's, in, you know, much more inspiring than, you know, a specific organization leading the way, you know, because, you know, eventually those people, you know, they don't understand that there's a limit point to every organization. The limit point is when the organization becomes unnecessary, you need to destroy it. Right. You know, and a lot of people don't understand that for them. It's like it's the party. Right. Mm-hmm. And the party's going to lead the way. Maybe the party might lead the way for a while, but eventually it could be, there comes a point where, the, you know, these things need to dissolve or be destroyed or dismantled, however you want to you know, put it. And that's something that for a lot of people is scary because they're, they're used to, you know, having everything dictated to them. And like, like, what does it mean to live your own life with the people you want to live with? Like, that's a very, like, big idea. And I think... That's the reason why, if you say you're critical of the left or organizations of activism, you're a bad person. That should be ostracized, you know, and kicked out of spaces, you know. It's almost like the same reaction to when you tell people you don't vote or, like, yeah. you're criticized in the two-party system. I just find the level of hypocrisy amongst orgs and left interesting how they parallel a lot of those that they would critique themselves. Yeah, I remember someone saying when we were criticizing the left, they've been your biggest supporters. How could you be critical of, like, this 
formation. And to me, not having read a lot, I didn't really know what the left was. I kept hearing about this left and I just didn't see how they distinguished themselves from liberalism because it was so confusing. But also once they did distinguish themselves from liberalism, the strategy of leftism seems to still be catering to liberalism or outreaching liberalism because leftism to me seems to be about conversion. It's about converting people's ideas to something else and recruitment. And so I think that what you brought up about like cultivating revolt which is spontaneous and shows up in all its forms versus building the party or building the organization. And so it's like once you even start being receptive to radical politics, there are all these factions that will come in and try to opportunize off of your process. And that looks so many different ways because there were established leftist people or organizations who participated in Occupy, but enjoyed the the distance of being able to say, oh, I am not part of Occupy. I'm actually part of this organization over mm-hmm. here. But the, the predatory nature of that was that as people were organically coming to, like, anti-authoritarian, like, ideas, they were trying to use us, yeah. you know? And the thing is, like, uh, they want a radical edge and they want an autonomous edge to a certain extent. To, like, use you mm-hmm. to get their policy or their agenda in. And once you can no longer be used, you're useless to them and you're a threat because you're criti- criticizing too much and you're, you know, challenging the, the logic of, of the left too much. And, and the left is all about, like, we have to stick together. Left is unity. And to me, like, that's the interesting part about radical politics is that the critical aspect of it, like, to me, cannot stop. Like, it has to it has to continue. Yeah. Um, like, you don't reach a position. Like, for me, like, I haven't reached a position and then just be like, oh, I'm here now. I think it's important to, like, dabble in different things. And I look at it more as, like, trying different tactics. But also, you know, there's anti-authoritarian tactics and then there's authoritarian tactics. So even if you're talking about what's the alternative to organizations, there are some collectives, but even collectives can become stagnant and yeah. can cannot know when to dissolve. So I think there's like a lot of uh, variety and um, the process continues and, you know, there are a lot of tensions between what people even call radical politics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, thinking about what you said, like about people trying to, you know, you know, use you, right? You know, if you're especially, I think, you know, if you're a woman, if you're you know, a woman of color, if you're trans, if you're, you know, brown black whatever we also got to talk about you know the left is in the u.s is very white so they want you to show up they want you to be in their clique and their club so they can be like we're not that bad if we got homeboy over here sitting here with us from the neighborhood right so they want to like have you but as soon as you as soon as you open your mouth and you say something that's critical of what they're doing what they're saying what they're not saying then you're like you're a bad person you're you're just you're just to it we, you know, you're just not educated enough. We need to get the right consciousness in you. You know, this whole thing where you just, you know, this whole conversion process. And I think, you know, for the left, a lot of this, like, conversion process comes from because a lot of it, a lot of people on the left, their ideas emanate purely from reading theoretical texts, right? And they may even, like, look at the street and watch the street from afar, right? You know, they see it on Twitter, see it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And then they analyze it, and then they write something. But it's always at a distance, right? And and it's never lived, right? It's always, like, something that... And I think that's part of also because the left has become very institutionalized and has become very academic, right? 
where you know as soon as like in the the 60s and 70s and all that radical movement died where did it go to it went to the university and that's why you can talk about sometimes some of the craziest hottest stuff in the classroom but it doesn't do anything because like like you know bobby like you're like you were saying that like you could read something there and it doesn't mean a lot to you because it's just words on the page and and a lot of the stuff can be really dry and really removed from your daily life and you get into really abstract language which some of it i think is helpful to help understand i get down with some marks every now and then but you know i'm not this person who's committed to reading like volume one two and three of capital you know so i can understand what's happening around me you know when you know a lot of us just from like living our lives we're pissed off and i think that's a better that's a better way of talking and getting you know trying to not recruit people but saying hey there's there's some of us out here that we're mad too let's see what we can do about it you know and i feel like that's like the disconnection is that there is like the institution of the left right and I just can't help but think of the left and think of religion, like, and how much it parallels, like, when we talk about, like, sort of, like, the dogmatic aspects of it. Because I feel like a lot of the language also can be alienating and, like, not necessarily, like, accessible. But if you break it down for people, what is wrong in, like, different classes without necessarily using certain terminology, they're going to understand because that's their lived experience. You know, everyone, there's people who are just, like, struggling, and I feel like that's sort of the disconnect between activists, professional activists, and just like when people from the street decide to like have an uprising. I remember I've gone to something where it was just like literally the people in the community and then the next week it was like every Oregon like activist (laughs) the week later trying to like keep that energy and like the experience from the two different like I would take the first one with the community like any day because they were the ones who were about it. They were the ones that were just like, you know, doing what we talk about in theory and I feel like that's just consistent is that it's like poor disenfranchised people of color like youth people who have been in prison who you know at these like police brutality marches who will be like you know the first ones want to go on the freeways and now like freeways are like a thing and it's like these supposedly left organizations and liberal organizations who are who will be the first one to criticize actions like that until now that they have become normalized and accepted as sort of like okay tactics to use. But SEIU is one of those people who was very happy to use and like, you know, take advantage of white-eyed people and let them get arrested so that they can keep like whatever negotiating power for whatever they were doing with the city at the time and like didn't care about these people. And they did that for a while until like it kind of people caught on to what was going on with yeah. them and so yeah you can't really trust i feel like organizations because they have their own self-interest in in there they think their role there is to like lead you to organize you sorry but people don't need to be organized they don't need to be told how they should resist we need to collectively work together on like how we're gonna resist but when it comes down to it i'm on my own you know what i mean like you can't really like have hope for the idea that the collective is going to come through. No, I feel that. And like, and going back to what you're saying about, you know, like the left being like a religion, you know, you see it in situations where people somehow are supporting Assad in Syria, bombing the hell out of his, you know, the people in his country because he's supposedly a socialist. Like this is, this is like, 
It's, it literally makes like zero. And because of the amorphous rebels, like these and anti-imperialist rebels. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, and, and the whole like you know anti-imperialist line gets really like weird. And I've seen <laughs> it happen throughout the years where you're supporting this whole you know enemy of my enemy is my friend, which doesn't always play out. You well, know? one of the leftist writers, I don't know who it was, wrote that. Wrote that if you are facing, um, you know, uh, a head of state that is semi-anti-imperialist versus a head of state that is, you know, more openly capitalist, that you should always support the anti-imperialist, regardless of the fallout, how mm-hmm. much murder is happening, how much death is happening. So I feel like it goes back to the idea of, like, um, the superiority complex of the left who, like, just because it was written by someone 60 years ago, Lenin. 100 years ago, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whoever the hell, <laughs> you know, has the monopoly on leftism, you yeah. know, because someone wrote it like it's like a rule that is being followed and that's part of the issue is that like you said when stuff is going down in the street and it's organic and people are responding to their they're resisting they're responding to their oppression the first people that are going to contain that are the organizations and you see it time and time again if you actually just watch the dynamics at uprisings then you will see the established left Mm -hmm. and you will see the organic resistance and they will clash over and over again until they're co-opted, until the, n- the next protest is only, you know, organizations. Um, and I think one of the major things that pushed me towards, like, autonomy and being critical of the left was the overemphasis of, of theory and as dogma versus, th- like, the idea that we can all create theory, that, mm. that lived conditions are enough for anyone to theorize about their own conditions versus if you haven't read this or if you can't translate your lived experience into Marxism, then somehow you haven't graduated to like the realm of leftism where you your resistance is valid. And so there's this leftism invalidates a lot of organic resistance in order to hold on to what they built. Of And I think part of that goal, the goal has been to institutionalize the left. They do want to be legitimized under the current state that exists. Um, they're not trying to say, like, the state is illegitimate, uh, we're trying to be over here. They do yeah. want to be legitimized into the the um, visibility, you know, be visible and, and legible as a legitimate body under the state. And I think a lot of it has to do, you know, this is like the, the anarchist, you know, or, you know, the anti-state communist critique of the left, is that, you know, a lot of the left is just telling people, we can be better managers, it's like we're gonna be the good manager because we're all gonna manage together somehow, right? We're you you're probably gonna go to the same job, but you're gonna decide collectively who washes the dishes, right? And for some people, like that, like I understand how that that could be better than what we live now, but it's such a small dream when yeah. some of us want may want to live a substantially different way, and like we don't want just to be the managers of society; we want to live in a fundamentally different society. Right. Or, you know, or maybe something that's that's not a mass society, something that's smaller scale. Right. And maybe we don't want to live with the fascists. You know, maybe we just kick them out and that's fine. And that's okay in the society we want to live in. But, yeah, a lot of the left is just like we will be better leaders. Leaders. Yeah. That's what it is. I like what you're saying about the like limited dream. Mm Because it's like, yeah, you know, I have a. You know, I understand that no matter what, there is no utopia. So therefore, like, 
there will be consistent revolution and we will consistent have to like resist like there's always going to be some power figure that's going to want to dominate and so understanding that like I want full autonomy. I may never get that. You know, yeah. I may never get this, like, autonomous society where, like, I can just be free and not worry about all of the, like, oppressive pillars of the world. But I'm still going to... That's going to be my goal. <laughs> you know, my goal yeah. isn't going to be for, like, a less, like, evil leader, you know, or else I would have... I'd be voting, you know, or else <laughs> I'd, like, be looking at the Democratic Party and working for them. But, like, no, I want more than that for my life. And thanks for listening to On Resistance. You can listen to our show every Friday except for the first Friday at 7.30 p.m. Um, you can listen to this show and all our past shows on www.soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. You can find us on Twitter at onresistancela. You can email us at onresistanceradio at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook on, on Resistance and become a patron if you feel so inclined to. Bye.